0: written in the book and many of those who who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever but you O Daniel shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to, to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Till then, Daniel looked, th- then I, Daniel looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the stream, waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it was, it would be for a time, times and half a time. And that when when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, Oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of the time. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end and you shall rest. And shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So recently, Isaac started a he joined a, a new baseball team. And we were one of three or four new members to this team. And Uh, Every time that we have shown up to these games because he started playing this fall, we have felt, um, as a family, disconnected. We have no idea who these players are. They're all wearing the same uniforms, except for our few kids. And the only way that we seem to be able to keep track of who is who is an app on our phone. And this app is called... Team Snap. And Team Snap, or Game Changer, whichever one you want to use, has the whole scorecard listed for you. You got the lineup, you know who is doing what plays at what time and where, you get to see the strikes and the, uh, the balls, the outs, you know, what kind of play took place here. And so that, Team Snap, has helped us keep track of what is going on when and where. That is how this is all happening. This section, uh, especially chapter 11, chapter 11 feels like we need some kind of scorecard or team snap because there are so many players that are going to be shuffling in and out of the, the game here, in and out of action. In the 58 verses of these two chapters, there is this king of the south and this king of the north. This king of the, the north, that king of the south, these two guys going on. So we, get conf- we can easily get confused if we don't know who is who on the playing field. So one of the things to help us remember is that this is a book of prophecy. It's a book of prophecy, and yet so much of this book of prophecy has already been realized. It has already happened. It is a tool that God gave to the children of Israel to help them understand that he is the king of time. He, he knows what is going on. So rest and relax. I am in control. And in many ways, these, this chapter, chapter 11, kind of fits together with chapters 2 and 7, and especially 8, over and over and over again. Because God is telling his people through the prophet Daniel that he is the Lord of history. He is the king of time. And he demonstrates it by using prophecy. And prophecy helps unfold history, the way history plays out during a period of silence beginning around 400 B.C. And we've seen this basic framework already kind of laid out. There was Persia. There was Greece. There was these four generals who, were, who history has called, called the successors or the didache. Sounds like a, a kid's game going on here. And so while Daniel 8 focused in on the, the conflict between Persia and Greece, Daniel unfolds that final relationship of the four successors, um, especially between the kingdom of the south, which is Egypt. Keep that in mind. The kingdom of the south is Egypt and the kingdom of the north is found in the Middle East and included Palestine which was ruled by the Seleucids so if someone wanted to unpack the real historical actors here you would need to really consult a solid evangelical kind of commentary it's not easy if you are just reading this for your devotional purposes you would go what in the world is going on here so you would need to kind of consult, get, get all the tools. So for my purposes, uh, I want to point out a couple things that had specific reference to God's people. First, it is important to recognize that the area of these two kingdoms butted against each other and it was found in this glorious land. The Ptolemies, who are uh, from Egypt, who controlled Egypt, extended their sphere of influence nearly all the way to Damascus, which was about 135 miles north of Jerusalem. And so when God's people returned back to Palestine as the prophet Jeremiah declared would happen, they would continue to be right in the middle of this world history that is going on. Their land, this beautiful, glorious land, would be contested ground, constantly fought over. So they are in the middle of this heated battle, the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south. There was constantly this Venn diagram which kept the glorious land constantly in the middle of conflict. They were constantly, no matter who was ruling them, they were constantly being pulled one way or the other. Secondly, that the story focuses on this contemptible person. You see that in verse 21 of chapter 11. And this contemptible person would rule the kingdom of the north. And the section from twenty one to thirty two describes the scenes that would be attributed to antigones the fourth epiphanes that's his name anticones and and he would turn against god's people and especially against god's worship. It says that the forces from him, Antigones shall appear and profane the temple and the fortress and take away the the regular burnt offerings and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate as we mentioned before in a previous sermon this desolation this abomination that was took place was more than likely when antiquities took down the altar of burnt offerings and set on top of it his own altar to the god little god little g god Zeus and on that altar. What did he do? He sacrificed a pig. One of the most unclean animals for a Jewish person. And because of that, Antichrist was opposed by a group of men. Now, our Bibles do not have this book in uh, our uh, our bible but how many of you have ever heard of the book of maccabees the book of maccabees it is uh we do not believe that it is a divine divinely inspired book but we do think that it has some good historical pieces in it so the church uh, the protestant church does not recognize it as an, an authoritative book but the history of the maccabees was about these men who responded to Antichonese placing a altar in the temple. But what did God do? We can see that here, even though this guy is considered a contemptible person, God is warning the children of Israel that there is a contemptible person coming along. I am giving you the fast forward version. My children, there's one coming who will do this. And so by warning his children in advance, he desired them to be wise and to help others understand. In other words, it's you, you can have your grandchildren on your knee and just say, listen, God told us that man was coming. What does that tell you about our God? He is warning us. I want you to understand that this does not surprise our God. What great hope does that give us? That God is willing to say, this is going to happen. But third, the third thing to notice about this section is the description of this this evil ruler who appears in Daniel 36 to 45. Listen to it. This is the one section I'll read to you. 36. The king shall do as he will. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things about the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god for he shall magnify himself above all he shall honor the god of fortress instead of these a god whom his fathers did not know he shall honor with gold and silver with precious stones and costly gifts he shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god those who acknowledge him he shall load with honor he shall make them rulers over many and divide the land for a price so who is this God? Is it Antichrist? Antichicus the fourth? Is it some other future ruler? Is it the Antichrist? I, I don't think we can know for absolute sure. It does a great job of describing Antichicus, really describing him well, of his character, because even his name, Epiphanes, means literally means the shining one. It was also a way of claiming that he was the manifest God. He was God in the flesh. He thought very much that he was the divine one, a God above every other gods. Still, we don't know for sure. But what we can say is that even when this one comes... The one who shall be speaking astonishing things against the God of gods, the one who shall not pay attention to any other God, for he's going to magnify himself above all others. We know that God even knows about this man, he knows him. And this ruler does not take God by surprise. He's not surprised his times and his rules are ultimately in God's hands. And so even today, my friends, in this strange time that we have and the strange election season that we are going to be in or already are in, do you know what? God knows the end. He is going, he is going to purpose who is going to be in leadership in our state, in our village, in our nation, in this world. God knows, and nothing surprises him. God knows all about the cosmic powers. And what does he know about our lives? What does he know about the movements of our days? If he knew the movements of the, the per- kings of Persia, the kings of Greece, the Ptolemies, of the Seleucids, if, if he can tell God's people what will happen before it happens. What about our lives? Doesn't God know about our days? Our struggles? Even our opposition? Doesn't he know that we in fact wrestle with doubt and fear? Our questions are met by the answer that our God is the God who rules over all things. He rules, he controls all things, he knows all things, and he does it by the power of his word. And yet, that is not the final hope that we have. That is a great hope of knowing that God controls and knows all things. Because we have other questions in this life. We, we ask ourselves, where is the justice? Where is the hope that evil will finally be pu- punished and faith in God is rewarded? Where is the promise that these rulers are not the ultimate deities and the ultimate realities, but that there is one who is going to come and set all things right? Where is the promise that the end of the story is the one that is worth actually waiting for? It's actually the climax of the story. Where is that hope? Well, my friends, our final hope our final hope centers on the fact that God will set things right. And the major piece of that program of setting things right is ultimately found in this word, resurrection, the resurrection. What we find in Daniel chapter 12, verses two through three is the most explicit teaching is the most explicit teaching in the Old Testament on the resurrection of the just and the unjust. This is an explicit description of what is going to take place when we are resurrected. After a time of trouble, at the very end of the age, it says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall do what? They shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. In other words, there is a coming day when the world will be set to right again, when ultimate justice and ultimate blessing will be meted out. It'll come to a head. And there is reason for hope. But the hope is not simply the fact of the resurrection. For some of us, resurrection is not good news. Hear that. For some of you in this room, there's a very good chance that the resurrection will not be good news. For some will be raised to everlasting contempt. In other words, everlasting condemnation. And some will be raised to an experience of just eternal shame, eternal judgment, eternal fire. There is a day coming In which God will judge the living and the dead he will separate the sheep from the goats the wheat from the tares the good fish from the bad fish those who love Christ and those who do not love Christ those who attend and just attend because it's a good nice moral thing to do it feels good in the moment but have never responded to the gospel God will ultimately at the end of time separate the believers from those who do not believe the gospel. And this promised day of judgment is part of what God is doing when he sets the world to right again. Write down Isaiah 65, 17 to 25. Those of you who are note takers, Isaiah 65 17 to 25 this is that section in Isaiah again a book of prophecy is a glorious picture of the new heavens and the new earth it is beautiful and is powerful so it's a repeated theme and even there it it talks about when God comes to visit the world in that final day of the Lord the day of the Lord it is a day of both salvation and and judgment. Resurrection is a resurrection. So often here, we, we, when we think about resurrection, we think about, oh, that glorious day, new bodies, new heavens, new earth. Everything will be perfect. No tears, no sorrow, no pain, no death. It'll be awesome. But in reality, the resurrection is also a resurrection of salvation and of Judgment. And so if we are not followers of Jesus Christ, the fact that there is going to be a resurrection and a time of ultimate judgment, it can be very bad news. Because the day is coming when every man, woman, and child will be judged and will have to stand before God against His standards of righteousness and his standards of righteousness do not include mere church attendance his standards of righteousness has nothing to do with just writing a tithe check his standards of righteousness are summed up in his moral law especially found in the Ten Commandments and if we face that judgment on our own good works, our own good thoughts, our own good intentions, and not the perfect works, thoughts, and intentions of Christ, then God's response will be made plain, has been made plain throughout the Bible. There is judgment for you. You can see that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, where Paul tells us that Jesus is coming, quote, with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all those who believed because our testimony to you was believed. So here's what we should hear from this text, both in Isaiah 65 and in, in Daniel chapter uh, 12 and in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 1, my friends, hell is real. You're not going to just die and turn to dust and everything's going to be okay. No, hell is real. Judgment is certain, and the only hope that we have that comes from having obeying the gospel. Trusting in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, which is nothing less and nothing more than believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And it may very well be that God is shouting out through our circumstances, your circumstances to stop trusting in your performance. Stop it. Stop trusting in your good works and to actually receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Stop showing up here thinking that that is enough. Stop showing up here and giving a check because that is not enough. That will never earn you salvation. We need to recognize, you need to recognize that Jesus came for the purpose to live with perfect works, perfect thoughts, perfect intentions, not for himself, but for others, for you. And he came to satisfy God's wrath, which is directed towards you. So for those who completing Jesus's blood, trusting in his his work and his righteousness, resting in Jesus's finished work, instead of his or her, your own imperfect works, you will, if you do that, if you trust in Jesus, you will find full and free salvation. And on that last day, you will be raised up with the righteous and find complete salvation. That is what we all long for. And this salvation includes an everlasting life, and we we will. Verse three said, "We will shine like the brightness of the sky above." And we will participate both now and then in God's work of redemption and renewal, in God's work of making all things new. And this is our great hope, that our faithful God and Father, who is the true King, the the faithful King, the one who is able to save, the King who is ultimately merciful, as we heard in Psalm 40, in our call to worship, in our confession of sin, in our assurance of pardon, that He is actually merciful, that this God came near to us in Christ Jesus to do what? To save us. And this Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Those who trust in this Savior named Jesus are those who have hope in this life and the life to come. So trusting in this Jesus who is our resurrection in our life It is to give us rest. And that's exactly what the angels tell Daniel to do. Right at the end of the prophecies of this book, the passage reads, But go your way till the end. Go your way. And you shall rest and stand in your allotted place until the end of the ages, the end of the days. We are to rest in the promises of God. In the promise of who God is and what God has done in his mighty acts and his word of salvation. But my friends, if you are anything like me, you have a hard time resting. Especially when our questions remain unanswered. When our questions remain unanswered, what do we do? Man, I quickly go to work. Is that true of you too? Or do you like to kind of sit in the, I don't know. Most of us like, well, I'm going to fix it myself. Daniel had many unanswered questions. Oh my Lord, what shall shall be the outcome of these things? But the man who received so many answers through so many visions and victories was told by the angel, go your way, Daniel. Just go your own way. I would be like, serious? This is how it all ends? You tell me, after giving me all these answers, you're telling me now? Go your own way. Go your way, and you're gonna have rest. You must rest. And indeed, the the number that appears throughout this book, and even in this last chapter, Force us to trust in God and to rest in his provision. These days and description of days is a confusing thing. And if you get into some of these crazy rabbit trails of dispensationalists and people who kind of think that they know the days and numbers, and they got it all clocked out, and who this is and who that is, please shut that book and turn off that TV and don't listen to them again but when it says time times and half a time and the mention of 1,290 days, and then it follows with a 1,335 days. And then there's also mention of 70 weeks. We, we got to start asking, so how does this all work together? It's kind of like you want to have the puzzle, the picture of the puzzle to figure out how all these pieces work together. But my friends, we don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is that God alone knows. He has determined the end all the way from the beginning. He has determined those things. And because of that, we can trust him. And yet we confess that it is hard to rest. It's hard to rest when our questions of life don't get answered. And I'm sure that's what Daniel was feeling. Lord, it sounds like things are going to get worse. When is this all going to end? And maybe that is your season of life right now. It is just, it feels like things are rolling and getting worse and more tension and more oddities are going on. It feels like this person's coming into power. This person is coming to power. There's evil things going on. Lord, when's they all going to end? And God says, I need you to trust me. Quit playing the God card because you're playing like thinking that you are like Antichicus the fourth Epiphanes who is God above God's. You are not. So we know, my friends, this much. We do know the end. If you are in Christ Jesus, you do know the end. Resurrection. Salvation and judgment. We know that God knows all the movements of the story in which we are living. And we can rest knowing that God is just. That those who are evil in our time will receive their just condemnation. But that could be us. We need to continue to hope in this God. We need to continue to rest in him and trust in him. And as we live our lives, like the children of Israel, who are exiles passing through this time and this place away from our true country, which is ultimately going to be found and realized in the new heavens and the new earth, we are now exiles. And we learn that the gods of this world, the rulers of this world are no gods, are no rulers at all. We can come to believe that. And we learn that there is only one true king. There's only one, my friends, one true king who is the God of Israel and the God of the church. And he has come near to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And he is residing within us by his spirit. And we can learn to trust in him as the true hero. Daniel was not the hero of this story. We can trust in him, the true hero, to rest and to sing with wholehearted faith. So we're going to sing together. There's one verse of an old song, an old hymn. Uh, How many of you know the, the hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns? Crown Him with many crowns. There's a verse in there. Crown Him the Lord of years, the potentate, the king of time, creator of the rolling spheres, ineffably sublime all hail redeemer hail for thou didst die for me thy praise shall never never fail throughout eternity my friends that is the good news of the gospel and Daniel continues to point us to the one who is faithful the one who is true the one who will sustain us even in our time as he did with Israel so my friends let's pray and then let's let's sing to the, the King of Kings the Lord of Lords let us pray together